So the question, do sankhara have a kind of physiological or psychosomatic substantiality or direct correlative in the body such that maybe when deeply bound muscular tension unravels so too sankhara lose their tenacious grip. So thank you for the question. Sankara. Mm. I don't know how many of you come across this word or seen various translations of it. It's pretty um, crucial term and it's, it's translated in so many different ways because it's quite difficult to to get an English word to cover it. Often you see it translated as formations or volitional formations or karma formations, sometimes fabrications, property, dispensations, synergies. <laughs> so uh, what are they trying to do? Um, and I, I often, all of that, you know, conditioning forces, conditioning forces, energies that condition uh, and they manifest in three domains there's the kaya sankara bodily conditioning force which is in many respects equated with the energy of breathing in and out uh, except not always sometimes it's described as unwholesome kaya sankara or unskillful or skillful um, then this refers to the this movement of embodied energy that breathing out does or can regulate if you connect to it but it also means that kind of uh, say a very obvious example is we get angry there's a kind of <laughs> you know energy runs up or we get depressed and sinking and, and you, then you really get the idea it does form your body you know you get bristly and hard, or you get saggy and crumpled um, on, a, on a psychosomatic level, kaya sankara. And that becomes a certain aspect of one's profile. Because sankara, they're both active, but they're also resultant. So as they stream, that becomes a track, you know. So that particular stream of, of embodied energy gradually gets engraved, you might say, or or, or established as a primary track. Yeah. And it's prior to the emotions. The emotions arise out of it. So one can have a like the kaiosan current. It's some you know, quite intense and. It just goes that way. Yeah. Um, I don't know if this makes sense to you, if you can relate to this experience. Does anybody ever get angry here? <laughs> <laughs> or defensive, or flustered, or jittery, or that? I don't know, psychosomatic, that's kaya sankara, shunting around the body. Mm. 
Uh, and then you have citta sankara, which refers to this um, heart energy. Again, this is really trying to get a simple colloquial word for it. Conditioning force in the heart. And it's associated primarily with this um, impulse, you know, the, the flicker of impulse, or called intention. It's not considered intention, it's in impulse, the jump in the heart, uh, which can be good, you know, generous, kind, uh, or defensive, or whatever, you know, so there's a whole range of, of that. And I'm sure you're aware of that. That's what that is. That's what Chittasankara means. It forms, shapes your heart. Your heart becomes broad and expansive or narrow and tight or flustered and crushed. And you can almost feel those shapes occurring. You contemplate it. And it's really, really good to get a perspective on that when you're doing meditation. Because meditation really ramps this stuff up. <laughs> this is where they, they, you know, your pigeons come home to roost, if you like, you know, because it's now so many other input is, is removed. You're really sitting in your karmic soup, you know, which is not all bad by any means, but it certainly creates me and it intensifies. Uh, third one is the Vajisankara, which is to do with the articulation, verbalizing, conceptualizing, and um, you know that rush in the head, we get a bright idea, or we're fumbling around trying to remember something, you know, or organizing things, you just start jittering around. And you may have experienced that on retreats, you know, suddenly there's nothing much to, to do is he's studying cornflake packets. <laughs> you know, things like that, or ingredients in soap powder, or, you know, or calculating things, or planning things in the future, uh, you know, and sort of get really, it's like the energy can't quite switch off, so it just starts speeding around. Yeah. Okay, so there's, there's that. Um, and these, these have a shaping effect on one's overall um, sense of being, they, they form us. Uh, I could say a lot more, but I don't want to say a lot more. Gives you a rough idea, and that's triggered, you see. So sankara are triggered by a perception or an impression, triggers. So we feel threatened, you know, or we project. You know. There's a trigger, touches us, that reminds us and we, we project. Uh, so then you get this triggering effect and there you're running your thought, running those sankara come running out and there you are being you again. <laughs> yeah. The aim is to calm these so that you can review and relax the underlying dispositions that trigger them. They're not innately bad but they get compulsive. So the questioner is asking do these have a kind of physiological substantiality in the body, so forth? Well, yes, they do. <laughs> I should have said that at first, couldn't yeah. I? <laughs> 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 so
such that um, deeply bound muscular tension unravels, so too Sankara lose their tenacious grip. Well, they generally put up a bit of a fight. Uh, I don't think it's muscle, I think it's connective tissue. And, um, you know, the the self-organizing interceptive senses, which may in fact affect the muscle, but the interceptive sense organizes the experience of body and it's sending signals or these signals are being sent through it. Yeah. Totally reflexive, way beneath the head. It's just happening. So when you start to do releasing stuff, this stuff comes out or starts releasing. (laughs) But uh, it's got to go somewhere. So one of the uh, consequences or or the the skills of of meditation is forming, actually resetting, so you don't just let this stuff fly loose because it can get very disorienting, (laughs) is to reorganize or to, it sounds so controlling, doesn't it, but to support the reorganizing of the bodily sankhara. So that in fact we can reset in terms of our personhood. So that we become more whole or complete or balanced or level. Uh, the compulsive nature of it is what has to be worked with. So when things start moving around, as they can do, they can give rise to psychological effects, sometimes... Um, Memories come up, uh, painful memories come up, um, uh, strange agitated energies come up, um, visions come up, and this, all this stuff is just the energy starting to loosen up and move around. Um, and it can be, energy is very fascinating. It's very fascinating. That's one of the problems of it. Where you've got to be quite cool and keep the awareness sort of pretty broad and spanning and grounding a lot yeah and just sort of stepping back learn to step back from the intensities of these energies as they move around but it's not stepping back like uh, you know abstracting or absenting oneself it's just like you know we tend to favor close attention like this you know which is highly, but actually the kind of attention you need for this is like this. Because attention carries energy, you see. The three ways that Sankara manifests, intention is the obvious one, the impulse to do, but attention, the focusing, that also is Sankara. That's the conditioning force. I do say quite a bit about focusing because often the meditator assumes almost a reflex of focus has to be quite, you know, intense to scrutinize. And this can over intensify the mix and you get hyped and up and up and up and up. Often with great devotion and, 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 and interest, but you're actually starting to, you know, you can fry eggs on you. It's cooking. <laughs> I've seen it. 
<laughs> I think I've been there too. <laughs> it's really, really good, really good. <laughs> so let's, let's, just, let's get the whole picture here and back off and get some space around it. Yeah. So that the sense of moving towards uh, kind of ease, lightness, spaciousness. And that really... See, that mode of attention is non-intrusive. It's still aware, you know, and it allows the things to organize themselves. We can't organize this stuff. This stuff is reflexive. But as it comes loose, you know, you've got to make sure your heart, the chitta, is in a pretty cool, steady place. Because, as you can recognize, these three sankharas, they transfer so as you can recognize, say, a bodily sankhara and an emotional sankhara are pretty closely bonded. You know, when we get depressed, it's like everything, you're flat, heavy, low, you get elated, lights up. So, okay, we can't really operate the kaya sankhara, but we can begin to just, just get the heart's intention to be pretty equanimous and cool and steady and stay with it but in that cool steady way and then you allow things to organize themselves and don't try to understand it so it's a non non tweaking non tweaking and you know then it will it will it will it will come into harmony it may give you a few stories on, on the way, you know, image stories, images, impressions, felt senses, suddenly pieces of narrative come, come loose and, you know, this is somatic memory, isn't it? And it starts coming to see, what does this need? What does this need? How much space does it need? Uh, how much listening does it need? You know, and that, staying with that in that empathetic way which is the gift the great gift of the heart and so the healing or the wholeness is uh, led by empathy rather than by understanding or tweaking or organizing or nothing more than that then the system will come into wholeness well, thank you for that. I've gone on quite a bit. Sorry, Laura, did you? <laughs> <laughs> Just on a really practical level, in a way, stating the obvious. But I, I just found it so helpful to give myself permission to do things like lie down in the Dharma Hall. You know, if there's a lot of tension, or lean against the wall, or if there's a lot of tension in the body, it sort of you know needs that encouragement. You know, sometimes these sankaras, it can just you sometimes can stand up feeling really tight, struggling to be with a unpleasant feeling or what's running through the body, and just uh, sometimes it's just helpful to give ourselves permission. Uh, to go a little bit outside the box, 
of our ideas for how we think the practice should look. You know, maybe lying down would be really supportive, you know, our knees up or you know, leaning against a tree in the garden. So just really simple things that just can support the bodily patterning to ease. But the other, the other thing I, I think is very key is, uh, I think you, Arjun was touching on this, is the patterns in the body uh, really conditioned by the beliefs and views we are oriented by or attached to. Something I find helpful with the tension patterns in the body is to initially steady attention with the Vedana, with the feeling, and then just check if there's a belief associated with that operating. So sometimes I'll do that by asking myself, what am I telling myself that's making me feel so... uh, And that sounds like self-view, but it's just a question that invites the belief to be visible. I'm telling myself I need to make progress. (laughs) I need to get somewhere on this retreat. (laughs) Come all this way, spent all this money, you know, or whatever it is, you know, so... Yeah, just checking the Vajisankara, it's very, it's often a kind of kingpin. Yeah. I have a question about tears born from love and grieving. How does this fit with equanimity? I guess, it, yeah, it's, um, equanimity is not really an, an emotion. So it doesn't it doesn't um, necessarily cancel out emotion. It's a way of seeing what's going on without adopting an attitude about it. <laughs> you know, like so. Th- th- there's that. That's your conditioned e- emotional response. It's part of your emotional health. I would imagine. You know. Um, and so that's that and then you, you one could have an attitude well this is a bit silly or should be able to control myself or perhaps I should express myself and actually equanimity is just this is what she's doing mm-hmm. <laughs> I can be with that I don't have to approve or disapprove it's just it's kind of it covers everything and uh, and it allows things to express themselves that's where I'd put it. Yeah, I, I have a sense that our uh, uh, body, mind, heart systems sort of have these uh, various feelings and emotions move through them. When they're allowed to have their movement, they, they serve a purpose. A bit like I described with the sloth and torpor. From a certain perspective, it can be a block, but really meeting the energy of the movement through it, it actually, it actually sort of circled round to energy. 
eventually. So it's like honouring and respecting what's moving through, which, like Arjun said, the uh, equanimity, something is, is finds its natural balance or becomes a doorway. As you were talking, it reminded me of an experience I had early on on retreat. Been on a month-long retreat, and about two weeks in, we've been doing mainly samatha practice, sitting and walking. And then the suggestion was just to open up and just go for a walk in nature. So just let go of the form of the practice and just just go, just open. And I walked across the lane to a little copse on the other side of the road from Amravati. And as I entered the wood, there was a foxglove. And I just saw this flower. And the initial feeling was just touched by the beauty of it, because there's this openness. And then there was this sadness, because I realized I hadn't seen a foxglove like that since I was a child. And it felt like the tears were a way of allowing the loss of connection, the effect of the recognition of the loss of connection. Like they were kind of uh, healing in a way. Yeah, because we're kind of, it's part of our humanness, isn't it? You know, these sort of organisms, they move, they're moved, they move. And we are influenced and we are influenced by what we're in touch with. And I think with our parents, you know, in mundane right view, one of the phrases is, there is mother, there is father. It's such a core... truth of what's formed us. So uh, it's sort of feeling the meaning and significance, but also how, uh, how we understand how attachment affects that. When we can allow how we're affected, rather than defend against it or grasp it, we can allow how things matter to us, like our parents matter to us deeply, we can allow the depth of that, that being caught in the defending the vulnerability or the holding on to the relationship. It's it's easy to say this, because obviously these are the deepest influential relationships, so it's maybe it's just an orientation or a contemplation, but it's basically uh, the difference between love with attachment and love without attachment. So it's like we can still love things, but there's a different quality the more we can uh, let go. Maybe that's enough. What do you think, Arjun? <laughs>